Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Eruk the end of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfin. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientolum again omgrev or corn rachtum. Yatakshatorin Graven or Corson, Elistuhalagus Gimina Fracht, Gorokligs or Dukashin Echor. Only Venown, Thordorakshin. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. If somebody is going out of their house with a bag full of placards which have clear messages which would incite hatred against a minority group and they're on their way to a protest, that's what they want to capture. It must be created in a way that it's likely to incite hatred. I must be created with a view to the material being communicated to the public or a section of the public. Nobody's ever going to be prosecuted for what they're thinking inside their heads. You can continue to think things inside your head that are very unsavory. The way that they've done it is clumsy and it's it's just a bit poorly drafted. Hello and welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, in association with Square. Square can help with your business needs from payments to menu management and online ordering. Visit square.com for more. Now, is Ireland introducing the penalty of a thought crime? Could you be arrested and prosecuted for something you've written or drawn that you've never shared with anyone online or offline? Well, that's what some are worrying is happening with the new Incitement to Violence and Hate Offences Act, which the hate crime legislation, which has been passed by the Oireachtas and waiting to go to become a law. The main thrust of the new law is actually to tighten up hate speech against vulnerable groups that can find themselves targeted by mobs. But one part of it says that someone can commit a crime by merely, and I'm quoting here, possessing material that's likely to incite violence or hatred. Now, according to that section, it doesn't actually have to have been shared, tweeted, posted, or leafleted. It's simply possession with a view to the material being communicated uh, to the public. Um, Irish Council of Civil Liberties Executive Director Liam Herrick, do you have any concerns about this? Well, we have concerns about the section that you refer to, Adrian. Um, the section refers to the offence of uh, possessing or preparing material. I think in fairness to the government, what they're trying to do is they're trying to create an offence which captures when somebody is about to disseminate information and the guards, for example, want to intercept them before they commit that offence. So, for example, if somebody is going out of their house with a bag full of placards which have clear messages which would incite hatred against a minority group and they're on their way to a protest, that's what they want to capture. Um, but I think the way that they've done it is clumsy and it's it's just a bit poorly drafted. This is a technical problem, but it's an important technical problem. That's why the Irish Council for Civil Liberties, other civil society groups and members across all parties in the Oireachtas have proposed amendments to tighten up the language. 
Now, up until now, the Minister just, of Justice... Can you just explain not, how you would tighten up the language? What is the actual issue? Well, the, the, the issue is that there really should be no place for criminalising people to be in possession of material unless it's very clear that there's evidence that they are in the process of trying to disseminate that. Okay. What, what the government is trying to do with this legislation is to criminalise activity which is going to cause other people to commit crimes against vulnerable groups in society. It's not legitimate to criminalise people in possession of messages or material which they're not trying to use to cause harm to other people. And it's that element of causing harm which is central. So yeah. the way it's drawn at the moment, it could potentially create problems around people's right to privacy and the inviolability of somebody's own home. It could lead potentially to situations where there are searches of people's property, where there was no evidence that they were likely to cause harm to other people. Uh, just before we get to, to, to that, let me bring in um, Senator Barry Ward, Fine Gael's Shannon spokesperson on Justin and uh, Justice and also a practicing barrister. Uh, Barry, the way that it is written, it doesn't really make a fair point here. It kind of does sound like a thought crime. One of your colleagues in the Dáil, Paul Murphy, uh, he referred to it specifically as a thought crime. And, and the example he used was that you could have material on your laptop, which hasn't been shared, hasn't been tweeted or, or, or leafleted or prepared yet, but that under this law, you could be guilty of an offence. Yeah, and of course, nobody ever accused Paul Murphy of being shy of a good soundbite. It's a good one to say, but it doesn't actually... Yeah, well, I mean, there's a substantive point here, surely. It's a substantive question anyway. Well, it, it isn't. It's not a thought crime, Adrian. In, in no uncertain terms, it's not a thought crime. For starters, there must actually be production material. So therefore, it goes beyond a, a thought, if you like. So nobody's ever going to be prosecuted for what they're thinking inside their heads. You can continue to think things inside your head that are very unsavory. No, no, but hold on. It, it, notes second, that you make can be private. Yeah, and the second thing that I was going to say was it must be prepared in contemplation of being distributed. So if you mm. look at the Section 10, Section 10, Section 1 is what creates this offence. There are two strands to it, but it must be created in a way that it's likely and it must be likely to incite hatred. I must be created with a view to the material being communicated to the public or a section of the public. And that's the safeguard that's in there. It's not enough to have a notebook entry. If there's no evidence that it's going to be distributed to the wider public, then it cannot be an offence under Section 10. And this is not entirely new either, because a similar offence existed under Section 4 of the 1989 Act, which is out of date and being repealed by this legislation, but it's not a new concept. Can I ask you, uh, who is the onus on now to prove that that was produced or that was drawn or that was written on someone's laptop with a view to it being publicly shared? Because the, the general concept that we have in this country, in most common law countries, is that you are innocent until proven guilty. And it, it generally is quite a high bar for the state to prove intent on that, that you, you, you meant to do something. Has that been partially reversed here? Is there any idea of the onus being on you or I to persuade authorities that the the long essay that we wrote, which was absolutely hateful and could be dangerous if shared, that that long essay, um, do we now have to prove that was only for our personal use? Well, the general concept of criminal law is that the burden of proof is always on the prosecution. So, in fact, even if you look at the wording of the section uh, in subsection three, it says in any offences, uh, proceedings for an offence where it is proved that the accused person, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, the duty is still on the prosecution. However, in many aspects of criminal law, 
we create what's called a rebuttable presumption. And that's what exists in this legislation, not just in relation to this offence, but in relation to others as well. And that's where the weight of circumstance is such as to give a reasonable belief that X is going to happen. Then it, it, the, the burden of proof shifts slightly insofar as it's open to the defendant to show that that is not a reasonable conclusion to draw. But that exists in a whole raft of existing legislation. It's been upheld by the Supreme Court. It is constitutional and it's not overly burdensome in this legislation. So, for example, if you have that essay in your notebook, it's quite reasonable. Uh, firstly, the prosecution has to prove that you have it. They have to prove that it is hateful and they have to prove that there's some basis for suspecting that you are going to disseminate it. Once mm. they've done that, it's still open to you to say, well, here's why that's not the case. Um, here's an, other essays that I wrote five years ago that I've never disseminated. Whatever it might be, whatever basis you might want to put forward to say that that presumption is unfair, it can be rebutted by the defence. It does not have to be, it's important to say. The burden of proof always rests with the prosecution, but if you don't explain it, obviously the jury might take a particular view in relation to the evidence that they've heard. Barry is right that there was a, a, a similar provision in the 1989 Act, and he's also right that the 1989 Act was badly in need of updating. But but from our analysis, there's a couple of aspects of how they're updating it, which seem to weaken the protections for an accused person. There were certain thresholds in terms of the nature of the material, um, which could lead to a prosecution, but also the mens rea, the, the mental requirement of the offence, that it would now be possible that somebody could only be reckless as to whether it subsequently got disseminated and lead to criminal culpability. Now, these are, if you like, somewhat technical legal problems, and they're also problems that are amenable to solutions. So I think that the presentation of this as a tort crime is overstating and overegging it, in, in my view. But that being said, when we are talking about you know, freedom of expression combined with rights to privacy, then it is incumbent to have very robust protections. And I think in the updating exercise, some of those protections are being lost. Now, because so many members of the Oireachtas have named this and identified it, the Minister for Justice has had plenty of time to maybe reflect on this and tighten up the language. I'd be surprised if the government doesn't tighten up the language, because in fairness, this was a common criticism through all of the debates in the Doyle and the Shannon. Everybody found a difficulty with this particular section. And I think, you know, it's not ideological. I think it's coming from people that are genuinely trying to get this legislation right. Mm. Barry, just to understand the parameters of what counts at hate speech, and I'm stepping half a step back here from the actual debate that we've been engaging in here. There are exceptions here for art and cultural politi political discussions. Again, the, the word reasonable is used. I'm quoting here, reasonable and genuine con contribution to uh, literary, artistic, political, scientific, religious, or ac academic discourse. Even within that, I'm wondering if you shared, say, Mein Kampf, which, which could legitimately be regarded as hateful material, if you shared that with somebody, not as part of a, a, a book club, but as a guide to life, if you did that, would that count as hate speech under this legislation? Um, I don't think so, because I do think it comes under that, that catch-all protection that is there for people. Now, it depends on the manner and and you know the basis on which it's shared, and um, there has been a lot of complaint in the context of complaint in the context of the debates within the House of the Oireachtas that there isn't a definition of hate, for example. Even, mm. There was not a definition of hate in the 1989 Act. There is not a definition of hate in this in the corresponding legislation in the United Kingdom, for example. 
I, I think actually there's very little doubt about what kind of behavior we are trying to outlaw here. The other complaint that has been made is that this is going to have a chilling effect on free speech. And it's not that I want that, but I do want people who feel that it's okay to go out and spout hate. I do want the, them to be the, the subject of a chilling effect. Um, as to what constitutes hatred or, or, or hate speech, it is also about looking at it in the context of how the, the legislation defines the protected categories. So in the context of Mein Kampf, obviously nationality, religion, they're, they're both covered under Section 3, Subsection 1, so arguably it is hateful. But it would be different if, for example, if I gave you a copy of Mein Kampf that said there's some very interesting discourse in there, you might have a read of it. The notion that that would constitute distribution of, of hate um, speech material, I think, is is not a realistic appraisal. However, if I were to take sections of Mein Kampf and put them on the placards that Liam was talking about earlier mm. and to go out and parade down the street with them saying, look how right Hitler was, and um, that's a very different way in which to display that material. There has been a lot of obfuscation by people uh, who are opposed to this legislation around definitions. I don't think there is any doubt in people's mind about the material that we're talking about. And for example, people have said to me, am I not allowed to say, for example, that a trans woman shouldn't be playing sport on an equal playing pitch with, with non-trans women? Um, well, no, that is not in any way outlawed by this legislation. That is an expression of a legitimate opinion, an opinion many people would find maybe even offensive and may, may not agree with. But the legislation does not ban you being offensive. And many people will continue to be offended. Well, no, okay, so, so, hold on, just and not 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 to weigh into that particular debate. But if your intervention on trans women, for example, playing sport, had the effect of creating a hostile environment around an individual, surely it would start to approach the definition of hate speech under the Act. Uh, no, I don't think necessarily the consequences of what you have done will define what you have done. It, the actions. So, for example, there must be an intent on your part, um, and you know you, you can't do you can't really commit it by accident. Now, there is, as Liam has said, a recklessness provision in there. So, again, it would depend on how the person put the material out there. But it is still perfectly legitimate for somebody who doesn't agree with what they would call the trans agenda. For example, it's perfectly legitimate for them to articulate that view, as long as they articulate it in a way that is not hateful, and that is possible. It's just that so much of what we see online, which is anti-trans, is very hateful, that we seem to think there's no other way to express it. Of course mm. there is. We can have a legitimate debate. I can say, for example, that in the context of the 100-meter uh, sprint, that a, a woman who was born a man um, has an, an undeniable biological advantage over a woman who was born a woman. I can say that. It's not a hateful thing to say. It might be offensive to some people. Other people might not agree with it. But it is not hateful. And many of the people who are opposed to this. Well, it, it, it could it could potentially be hateful I, if I you organized a rally around that. And but that's a different got, act. OK. And this in every criminal in every criminal offense, you have the guilty act and the guilty mind. And both must be present for you to, to largely speaking, both must be present. So for me to say that in isolation is not hateful for me to organize a rally to do down trans people in a hateful way, obviously, is a totally different category. Well, of you, you might say that you were trying to protect uh, the, the other group that you were you were uh, uh, um, representing. And, and so we're talking about very fine lines here, as as is often the case in, in subjects like, like this. Liam, just something that Barry said there. Should we just get used to this idea of rebuttable presumptions and preventative justice? And sure, you're innocent until you're proven guilty. But uh, but really, 
it's possible for you to be a little bit guilty until we discover your good character and that you didn't mean it. No, I don't think we should. I mean, I, I think that's why it's it's so important how we construct criminal offences. And you know, this legislation is criminal justice legislation. There's a much wider question of social policy about how we deal with discrimination, hate, hostility in society. And most, the great majority of government action in that space should happen outside of the criminal law. The, the legislation here should only, in our view, have a very narrow focus around hate speech that has the direct consequence of causing incitement to hate crime in society. And we should only use criminal justice very sparingly. And, and that's why I think that's where the legislation has to get to. There's a little gap at the moment. It's not hugely significant between a quite sensible and productive piece of legislation and some aspects of it that are drawn, drawn too broadly. But you posed a question, Adrian, about how we create the right defences to protect freedom of expression. And it's important to bear in mind that the Irish Constitution has strong uh, guarantees for freedom of expression and the European Convention on Human Rights does. So anything that we do in legislation is subject to those much more fundamental and important protections that are already there. We feel the approach that's taken in the bill where they try to identify certain categories of speech such as political speech or religious speech that need special protection is, is misplaced. It would be better to have strong and robust freedom of expression protections for everybody. Okay. We don't want a situation where politicians or religious leaders have a higher standard of freedom of expression rights than the general public. So I think there's a better approach to solve the same problem. Okay. Okay. Look, Liam Herrick, Executive Director of the Irish Council of Civil Liberties and Senator Barry Ward, thank you very much uh, for joining us today. That's all we have time for today, folks. Thanks to Conan Doherty, who was on a video, to Gav Hennessy, who was on sound, Mary Carroll produced, and for me, Adrian Weckler, you've been watching or listening to The Big Tech Show. We'll talk to you the same time next week. Bye-bye. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now wherever you get your podcasts.